Please turn me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, and we will be in verses 1 through 9. This is one of the things I have really missed over the last eight weeks is having students up here to read and pray. So when you found your place, please stand for the reading of God's word and remain standing for a time of prayer following. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethlehem and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for bringing us here today, and we thank you for your word which guides us. We just pray, Lord God, that you would sanctify us with your truth, Lord God, and we thank you for this new... Um, this new place to worship in, Lord. And um, God, we just ask that you'd honor us. You'd help us to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So today I want us to focus on a new beginning. And I think after what we've been through this past year, I think we deserve maybe a new beginning. What do you think? And it's nice that God offers grace and that God offers new beginnings. You know, you don't need to get too focused on this, but there's a study of numbers in the Bible called numerology. And many times when you see the number eight, it's the number of new beginning. And you see eight quite a bit throughout scripture. And the neat thing is, is that our God is a God of grace and mercy who offers new beginnings to those who think they're hopeless. I mean, there was a time in my life, church, and I just want to be honest with you here, when I did not deserve a new beginning. When I was in the gutters, I was low, I was indulging in sin and destroying my life, but one day God came my way and reminded me that I'm still his, forgave me, picked me up, dusted me off, and gave me a new beginning. And today as we're coming on the backside of this COVID crisis, Pole Creek, we've got a chance to have a new beginning. So that's the title of my sermon, A New Beginning. Of course, we're going to be focusing here on Abraham. Now, I, I don't want to offend anyone, which I don't think it will, because we are in Candler, North Carolina, right? How many rednecks do we have in here? <laughs> Man, most of y'all won't even admit it. At least Ryan, brother, God bless you, buddy. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes we might need a few rednecks. What do you think? So that means you're familiar with NASCAR, right? I mean, if you're a redneck, y'all be familiar with NASCAR, right? Amen. I mean, that's okay. I've been to a few races myself, okay? I'm not talking about something I don't know about. But the interesting thing about NASCAR is, 
is that these cars, even with the restrictor plates, you go to somewhere like Talladega or Daytona, I mean, they're going to hit 190, 200 miles an hour, right? Now, do you think it would be wise for them to race on a wet track? So if it's rained a little bit, do you think they ought to crank those cars up and hit Talladega going 190 miles an hour? That, that's right. That's, that's 100% correct. Well, you know, I'm kind of looking at this COVID thing like our big rain delay. Because what happens in NASCAR is when it starts to rain, they have to cover the cars up, they let the rain finish, and they send the dryers out on the track to dry the track, right? And then once they get the track dried off, once they get the cars dried off, once they figure out that there's no more rain that's going to come, all of a sudden you hear those cars turn back on, right? Now, how many people have heard those cars crank up at a race? Man, that's awesome. I mean, it's so loud. It, it shakes the ground. You could feel it in your chest, shaking your chest. It's so loud and powerful, right? And when that rain delays over and those cars turn that last turn, hitting the green flag to begin the race again, that's when they drop them down in gear and they stomp the gas, don't they? Now, you want to you talk about some adrenaline, especially you men. You women are probably like, that's just too loud. I don't like that stuff. But us guys, now that gets us working, doesn't it? I mean, we're like, yes, let's get this thing started. Well, Pole Creek, that's where we're at, right? We just come out from the other side of this rain delay. The track's been dried. The cars have dried off. We got the cars cranked up again, and we're hitting the gas. And we ain't going to stop until we hit the finish line, amen? And that's what we've got to do. But the beautiful thing is, is that we have the opportunity to hit the gas again. So as we look at what happened with Abraham here, I want us to look at how his calling into what God had for him reflects uh, to us in what God has called us to do as a church in this community in the year 2021. So the first thing that I want us to see about Abraham here is that God called him. And in the same way, God calls you. So if you're taking notes, write that down. God calls you. And we're going to see that in verse 1. So let's go back to the scripture, Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, The Lord said to Abraham, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now I want, you to, get, I want to give you a little bit of a background story to this because it seems kind of normal that God would call Abraham to do this. But what you need to realize is that Abraham was not a follower of the true God prior to this experience. Abraham was a part of a pagan society, a city called Ur of the Chaldees, a city that was very focused on worshiping a moon god. It was a pagan society. Well, God, in his infinite knowledge and his understanding of the future, called Abraham and chose Abraham to be the vessel for which he would begin the Jewish nation. So Abraham's minding his own business, right? He's minding his own business. And one day God comes by and says, Abraham, get up. You're going to this land called Canaan, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now, he didn't have any prior relationship with God. He didn't have any prior experience with God. He said, okay, let's go. And he went. Here is what we're seeing now. So now you can kind of get that in context, and you realize, would I have done that? I mean, this is completely against anything I've ever known, completely against my culture, completely against my tradition, and all of a sudden, there's this God that I've never met before, and he's calling me to go to a land that I've never been before. Abraham was a wealthy man, and really, as you follow his life throughout Scripture, you're going to find that when Abraham traveled, he traveled in caravans. 
The man was massively wealthy throughout his entire life. And he actually accumulated wealth throughout his life. So for Abraham to pull up roots and go somewhere else was a big deal in and of itself. It was almost like moving a small community. But now a God that I never knew is calling me. And Abraham says, I'll go. Abraham gets up and he goes. Now, as Christians, we have to understand that God has also called us. But did you know that our calling is not very different than Abraham's? Because as Abraham was called, what we understand as Christians having the 66 books of the Holy Bible, the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, we understand the full story. And we understand that Abraham is indeed a blood relative of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. That Abraham set in course the lineage that would one day produce Jesus of Nazareth, born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. But you know what it took? It took an old boy like Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees to acknowledge a God that he didn't know and to say yes to a calling that he wasn't even expecting. And today we know this God. We know what he's called us to do. How much more so for Pole Creek, for us to stand up like Abraham and said, yes, God will go. When we think about a new beginning, we realize that, you know what? We probably weren't doing things right in our lives in Christianity in the past. I'll be the first one to tell you that there have been times where I should have witnessed to somebody that I had a prime opportunity to witness to and I didn't do it. I caved to fear, I caved to temptation, I caved to Satan's little lies that they would make fun of me or that they wouldn't listen to me, and I missed an opportunity. But you know what? With God, we get second chances. We get new beginnings. And today, we can renew our commitment to our calling that God has laid on our lives, that God, I have not always done things right. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God, but Lord, you still have us on this earth for a reason. I'm still breathing right now because God's not done with me. You're still breathing today because God still has a purpose for your life. Your life is beautiful. God made you in his image and he specifically called you. When you think about God saving the world, don't don't use the word world. Use your own name. Jesus came and died on the cross for you specifically. I'm seeing Russell, I'm seeing Betsy. God died for you, John, specifically you. He called you, just like he called Abraham. He had all these people in the ancient world that he could have gone to to call, but he chose Abram of Ur of the Chaldees to begin the nation of Israel. What an awesome calling. In Romans chapter one, beginning in verse five, We're going to hear a little bit more about this calling that we all have on our life. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, the Bible says this, Through him, talking about Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Hollywood has messed up the word saint so bad. The Catholic Church has messed up the word saint so bad that we forget sometimes as born-again believers that we're saints. Did you know that if your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, 
which means that you have bowed the knee and trusted in Jesus as your Savior, that you are a saint, that not only are you a saint, but your saint is a, you are called to be a saint because I hate to burst your bubble, but there's no one good enough to seek after God. You read Romans chapter three, for none seek after him, okay? None, there's none righteous, no, not one. So in order for you to have been saved, that meant that God at some point had to initiate that process. The Holy Spirit had to intersect and intervene in your little world open your eyes and draw you to Jesus. You know what that was? That was a calling. That was the night when I was six years old, when I was laying in my bedroom at the home that I grew up in, 15 Hendricks Drive. My mom and dad still live there. I was laying on the bottom bunk and my heart was pounding out of my chest and all I could see were the, the, the flames of hell. I was scared to death. I knew that if I died, I would die and go to hell. And that bothered me as it should all of us. Because I had been taught that if you don't know Jesus, you have no hope. I went to my dad and said, Dad, I don't want to die and go to hell. And that's when he shared with me in Romans how I could be saved, how I could come to know Jesus. You know what that was when I was laying in the bed and I was worried about going to hell? That was the Holy Spirit. Ben, you need Jesus. Ben, Jesus died for you and I'm calling you to be a saint, you need to accept Jesus. And I'm so thankful that I accepted Jesus that night as a six-year-old boy. And I want to tell you, little children, that God will save you just like he'll save an adult. I want to tell you, 80 or 90-year-old, God will save you just like he will a six- or seven-year-old. And I'll tell you what, I love baptizing children, but I love just as much baptizing senior saints because I promise you our Lord is not a respecter of persons. If he calls you to sainthood, say yes and accept the Lord Jesus. Amen. Accept that calling. I'm so glad in verse 6 of Romans chapter 1, it says, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. You know what he's talking about there? Gentiles. You know, in the Jewish tradition, Gentiles were like dogs. They were not of the called race, the Jewish race, the Jewish nation. They were second-class citizens. And in the Old Testament, God dealt specifically with the Jewish nation. But when Jesus died on the cross, we find in the book of Acts that the apostle Peter led a Gentile to the Lord Jesus. And Gentiles have been coming to Christ ever since. I'm a Gentile. You're a Gentile. Jesus died for you, and he called each and every one of us. Amen. Thank God for that calling that we have on our life as saints. So as we're looking at this new beginning, I want you to remember God has called you. He's calling you right now. He's calling you to stand up for the benefit of the gospel, to take the gospel to a lost and a dying world. We have a new beginning and we can begin anew today. The second thing that I want us to see about what happened with Abraham there is that God promised him something. So this morning, I want you to know God promises you something. Write that down if you're taking notes. God promises you. You know what I love about the promises of God? They always come true. He never breaks his promises. The Bible says that it is impossible for God to tell a lie. Ain't that awesome? You know, I think about a lot of these people who worship um, idols or who worship these folk traditions where, you know, in Africa, it's not uncommon for a tribe to worship their ancestors. But you know what I begin to think about is, is that if they knew their ancestors, they remembered they were liars, they were thieves, they were sinners just like they are, but they're praying to people who don't even keep the truth. As Christians... My God is so perfect and so holy that he can't even tell a lie. That when he promises me something, I promise you 
that he will keep his promise. We find this beginning in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 12, if you'll follow along there. As God is having this conversation with Abram in verse 2, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You go on down. So Abram went. He didn't have an argument with God, did he? He went. Went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan when they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the side of Shechem at the oak of Morah. Here we have God making Abram a promise. Now you may think, well, what does this have to do with me, Ben? Okay, so God's gonna make Abram into a great nation. He's gonna bless Abram. He's gonna make Abram's name great and he is gonna be a blessing, right? He's gonna be a blessing. But then in verse three, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. My friends, that's what's known as the Abrahamic covenant. This verse here, this promise, this covenant is what the entire scripture pivots on. When you go back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, you find a version of the Abrahamic covenant that was part of the curse that was given to Adam and Eve. When the Bible says that there would be one that would come and crush the head of the serpent, but yet the serpent would bruise his heel. You know what that was the first prophecy of? The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You move on forward many generations to Abraham and now you have this Abrahamic covenant and you find out that this man named Abraham called out of Ur of the Chaldees is gonna be elevated to such a status that he is gonna bless the entire world. That he is so important to God that those who bless Abram will be blessed and those who curse Abram will be cursed. Well, what exactly does all this mean? Does this just mean that Abram's gonna live in the lifestyles of the rich and famous and God's just gonna bless him and give him the prosperity that, that's talked about so much by prosperity preachers? He's gonna drive a, a nice new Cadillac and live in a mansion on the hill? No, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Abrahamic covenant in that from Abraham's seed would come one named Jesus Christ. That throughout the ages, we're gonna find that God God made a promise to Abraham. Later on in 2 Samuel, you find out that God made a promise to King David. And all of these promises that God is making to his children and to those he's called, all are leading up to the day when in that manger, the baby Jesus would be born. And then we find that Jesus lived a perfect life for 33 years, willingly gave his life on a criminal cross, was buried and rose again three days later for the salvation of the sins of the entire world. That his blood, so perfect and so holy, he was willing to empty himself, to take on the flesh, to enter into a fallen world and give his life for you and me. That's what this promise is all about, by the way. Did you know that Jesus is all the way from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation 22? 
that Jesus is in it from start to finish. This is not a, a bunch of different collections of religious writings. This is not a bunch of different traditional beliefs. This is not a bunch of fairy tales. This is the narrative of the prophecies of the coming Jesus, the life of the coming Jesus, and the second coming of the Lord Jesus, and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. All of this is about the Lord Jesus. One constant narrative, 66 books, over 40 different writers, written over a time frame of several thousand years, all to come together to be woven tightly in an explanation of our need for a Savior and that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the Holy Bible is. Praise God. So we're going to find that promise there in that same passage in Romans chapter 1 that we went back to earlier. The promise as communicated in the book of Romans by the Apostle Paul. It says there beginning in verse 1 of Romans chapter 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be pow the powerful son of God. Did you hear that promise there? Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Today, as we read about this Abrahamic covenant, as we think about the new beginning, we are still hinging our lives. Our purpose and our value as human beings is still launching from the promise that God made Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, that one day he would send a Savior named Jesus, that he would bless the world by dying on a cross and shedding his blood for their sins. I want to be very clear to you today. You might be here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're here today and you grew up in church. Maybe you've been a very good person, a moral citizen, a law-abiding citizen, but yet you have never bowed the knee and trusted in Jesus as your Savior. And you say, Ben, what do you mean by that? I mean that there has been a time and a place where you have understood your need, that you're sinful, and that you need righteousness. You know what? The only way you're ever going to get to heaven is if you have the holiness of God. But did you know that you can't get that on your own? You can't do enough good. You can't be good enough to get the holiness of God. It's not something that you can buy on Amazon or go to Walmart to pick up or inherit from your parents. Holiness is of God and it's holy, inerrant perfection, un uncomprehensible by human minds is the holiness that we have to obtain before we can go to heaven. But you know what? There's hope. You say, Ben, if I can't get it on my own, if church isn't going to get it for me, how am I going to get to heaven? By saying, Jesus, I know I can't do it on my own, but I know you did it for me on the cross. Your blood was shed, and you know what? Death didn't even defeat you, Jesus, because you burst forth out of the grave, and you're alive today. Based upon what you did for me, Jesus, I need your holiness today. And did you know based upon that simple faith, he'll save you from your sins? that he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And when you die, you don't have to worry about being good enough. You know why? Because when you stand at the gates of heaven one day, you'll have the holiness of Jesus Christ. That you can stand at the gates of heaven, not based upon your goodness, not worrying about your past sins, not worrying about your past mess ups, but I can stand there knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ has washed me whiter than snow. And now I can go to heaven. My friends, if you've never done that, you're hopeless, but the good thing today is you have hope 
because you're still here and you can still accept Jesus as your Savior. God promises us. Those of us who are Christians today, God has made this promise to us that Jesus came, he died, he fulfilled his promise, he still resides with us. Now let us continue to fulfill that promise by sharing Jesus with a lost and a dying world. I promise you that if I was lost in my sins, I'd want one of you to come my way and tell me about Jesus. And I promise you, there is no shortage of lost people in this world today. You say, Ben, America's a Christian nation. Guys, just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. Hey, that's, that's a title, that's terminology. You know what makes you a Christian? When your life has been transformed by the power of Jesus and you've accepted him as your Savior. You say, Ben, I did that one time, but I didn't feel anything. Did you know that it's not based on your feelings? You say, but you know, when I accepted Jesus, I just didn't have like these fireworks going off and all. The Bible doesn't say that you're saved if there's fireworks. The Bible doesn't say that you're saved if you cried. The Bible doesn't say that you're saved if you got excited. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's not a feeling type faith. It's not a hope so faith. It's not a mental type of faith. It's a heart faith. And when we obey God's word, God says you shall be saved. I promise you, based upon the authority of God's word, you'll be saved. Amen. So we see the, these things in, in, in connection to the new beginning. God calls us, God promises us, but God also moves us. Now this is something that we don't always get too on board with because when God starts moving folks, folks get uncomfortable. And I'll be the first one to say amen to that. It's hard sometimes. You know, my brother-in-law Gama up here playing the bass this morning, he is from the nation of Mongolia. Now, you may not know a whole lot about Mongolia. Mongolia is this small country pinned in between China and Russia. That's its only two neighbors, China and Russia. But in Mongolia today, there in the, in the 21st century, the 22nd century, we are still going to find that there are nomads in that country. There are nomads. You think, well, that's historical, Ben. That's in the history books. Nomads today in Mongolia. It says today in Mongolia, nearly 25 to 40% of its 3 million person population lives as nomadic herders. Many nomads in Mongolia own up to 1,000 animals. They spend their uh, days roaming the Mongolian steppe, which is a massive treeless plain so that their herds can thrive. They live in what is known as a gur. And you've probably seen these before. They're little round tent-looking homes, okay? And you can talk to Gama after the service. You still see those in Mongolia today. A gur is a round tent-like structure that normally has a hole in the roof so the smoke from the family's fire can escape. See, here's the thing about these gurs. They can be taken down and they can be reassembled as the folks move. When we go back to the scripture here, we look at the first um, part of verse 8 in Genesis chapter 12. And the Bible says this, From there he moved, talking about Abraham, on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Now, Abram is a rich man, right? You think he ought to be living in the finest of homes. He's carrying around a tent, He's taking his tent up, he's carrying it, he's setting it back up, he's moving around, he's not settled, he doesn't have a, a steady home that he's able to live in. But when you go back and you think about the calling on God's life and the promise that God made him, Abraham was trusting by faith, blind faith, to allow God to move him here and there because he trusted in the God that was moving him. Today, I'm not saying you need to sell your house and pick up and move to Africa. Maybe you do. I don't know. That's between you and God. What I am saying, though, is there's going to be some strongholds in your life that God is going to ask you to move through. 
in order to achieve his purpose in your life. There's gonna be some traditions perhaps that God is gonna bring before you that he's gonna challenge you on and he's gonna say, you're gonna have to move beyond this tradition in order to reach your neighbors who are Hindu. You're gonna have to reach beyond what you're used to in order to go to that Somali refugee that the government just placed in Western North Carolina so that they can hear about Jesus because all they know is about Allah and Islam. Did you know that your traditions and your strongholds can hinder God's work in your life? Even as a church, there's going to be things that we're going to have to do differently moving forward. It's just the nature of what's happened. It's the nature of what our world's gone through. It's the, it's the exponential changes that are happening in our society. And you say, well, Ben, are we going to preach a different gospel? No, we're going to keep preaching the word of God. But there's going to be methodologies and there's going to be ways that we're going to have to bend and move and be, uh, allow God to move us out of our comfort zone so that we can reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to be imperative that we do that. You know, one thing I love about my wife, Hannah, is that she likes to change things in the house, right? So in my mind, you know, I'm always working to get something fixed and settled and done. And then I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna get this thing painted. I'm gonna get this couch moved. I'm gonna get this done. And I'm not gonna have to touch it for the rest of my life. <laughs> and then a year later, we're, we're moving it, right, Hannah? And that, hey, <laughs> sometimes you might see me and I'm coming in with a limp. Well, it's because I'm moving furniture all weekend, right? No, but honestly, what that is, is that's a good example of me getting pushed out of my comfort zone, right? And I need that sometimes. Because I've told her before, we moved into our house, it was a foreclosure back in 2011, had wallpaper on every wall in the house. The ugliest wallpaper you've ever seen, you couldn't give the stuff away, right? It would probably still be there today if it was up to me, because I wouldn't have messed with it. You know, no pictures on the walls, it'd be terrible, Right? But see, there's something about Hannah. She wants it to look like a home. So I'm pushed out of my comfort zone to achieve those goals. But I think that's very important. You know, there's times too, back when I worked at Wilson Art, and I'm not going to keep you long. I know y'all are getting hungry, and I'm a little long-winded sometimes. But um, the break room at work, any y'all ever sit in a break room at a plant or an office place or whatever it may be? You know, there's times where the easy thing to do is to blend in with the crowd, Right? So, so there's, there's a joke being told that's, that's inappropriate or somebody's bad-mouthing the boss or somebody's talking about, man, I cheated on my taxes and I cheated the government out of $10,000 and everybody's like, yeah, that's awesome, man. You know, and the, the, the natural thing is you want to jump in there and, and, and get in there with them, right? But did you know sometimes when we're talking about God moving us and sometimes God moving us out of our comfort zone, sometimes God's going to call you to be a weirdo. Now, I want you to hear me just for a second. God's going to call you to be a weirdo sometimes. He's going to call you to be different than everybody else. He's going to ask you to stand out. He's going to ask you not to go with the flow. And I promise you there's nothing harder than going against the grain. But did you know that God called Abraham to go against the grain? When he called him out of the only home he ever known into a desert that had no, no city, no jobs, no, no, no promises, no opportunities, but yet he went God certainly moves. And then lastly, this is what I want us to finish on, is God is worthy. God is worthy. You know, every time Abram went somewhere, you know what he did? He took his tent, took his tent down, put his tent up, but he built an altar everywhere he went. The second part of verse 8 says this. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, he built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of of the Lord. 
That town Bethel has an interesting meaning as far as what the Hebrew is. Bethel means the house of God. And as we look at this beautiful new auditorium and we think about this new beginning, we're sitting in the house of God. And you know what that title denotes? It denotes the fact that the presence of God is dwelling here. Now we understand that we, as New Testament believers, God dwells within us in the person of the Holy Spirit and it dwells us. But we also understand that without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our worship services, nothing will be done for the glory of God. Souls will not be saved. God will not be glorified. The Holy Spirit must be here and he must be welcome. That's why we have to yearn for his presence. Let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit shows up, things change. Lives change. You hear those old stories about maybe your grandma and grandpa saying, you know, we were in a, in a worship service and this old boy fell out in the middle of the aisle and he was crying and he was just crawling to the altar because he was under so much conviction. We need a little bit of that today. It needs to be hard for a lost person to walk into this place and to walk out without being convicted of their sins. It needs to be real, real hard for somebody to walk in here living in a lifestyle of sin and be okay with it. The holiness of God needs to be here. And the only way his holiness will be here is if we invite him to partake in our worship services. In Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, the Bible says this, talking about Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on the top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, if God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give to you a tenth of all that you give me. You know what Jacob found out that day in Bethel, in the house of God? How important it was to have the presence of God with him. You know, the thing about Jacob is, is that he wasn't always on the right track. And I'm not even sure he was right with God until this point in his life. But there came a place when he realized, I can do nothing without God. Today, Pole Creek, I promise you, this church will do nothing except with God. We must make this a place where God's presence is, is accepted and invited. We need to come in here ready to praise the Lord. We need to come in here ready to get excited about what Jesus is doing. People from our community don't need to come into our church and say, man, those people act like something's wrong with them. They don't smile, they don't talk, they don't raise their hands, they don't get happy about Jesus or anything. We need to be a church where, you know what? We got something to be excited about. And it's okay to let loose. It's okay to get out of your comfort zone. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to get fired up because we've got something to be excited about. And you know what? I am so excited about what God is gonna continue to do through our church. So as we start this new beginning, as we put our foot on the gas and we go as hard as we can, I want our goal to be to see as many lost people saved as possible. And I can't wait for you to call me through the week to call me and say, Ben, I just led somebody to Jesus. You know what I'm gonna ask you to do after that? You're going to testify Sunday and you're going to tell the church about how you led somebody to Jesus. And I can't wait to have you guys lined up sharing about how you led somebody to Jesus. This week, I want you to think through that. Is this an opportunity for me to share Jesus? And if it is, be like Abram. Do it. Don't ask questions. Just do it. And I promise you that God will bless you. Let's bow our heads this morning as we get into a time of prayer.